When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night, a Finance Freddy's podcast. I am your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Today's episode is going to be a bit different. Uh, If you have been listening to us for a while, you've watched our previous episode, then you know that today's episode is going to be a Q&A episode. Uh, To give you a bit of background on how this is going to work, uh, this is completely off the cuff. This is... I have not seen any of these questions beforehand. This is completely my honest reaction and opinion on the matters to these questions and theories that have been submitted by you all in the internet community. So thank you all for listening and thank you all for participating in this. This is really a celebration for the fact that I am shocked that I'm still making this, this podcast, basically. It's... A rather humbling feeling, I must admit, to get this far and to have this much support. So, really, uh, thank you to all of you for listening. You truly, it's truly uh, very, very appreciative. Um, <laughs> I got a little tear in my eye. <laughs> um, anyway, let's uh, let's not get emotional. Let's not get too emotional. Let's get to the let's get to the fun part, shall we? Let's get to the fun part. Alrighty, let's get to the survey questions. Here we are. Okay. First question is from Attempting Something. Thank you for submitting a question, Attempting Something. Uh, another question is, what's been the best part about making Into the Night? I would have to say the best part about making Into the Night I'll answer, I'll, I'll answer this in uh, two ways. The best part about making it tonight, and then uh, the best part about it tonight. The best part about making it is absolutely the audition process of it. Uh, specifically, Adobe Audition. Uh, being able to edit it and work on that background audio and make it more immersive and all that, that is definitely a, uh, a very fun and engaging part of the, part of the work. Uh, it's sometimes a bit too addictive to my taste um uh like if i have a full episode and i realize that there's not a segment like that i mean this happened last episode where i realized there was really no room for me to have immersive audio i would just make a segment that's all about immersion and just implement it into it 
Uh, so yeah, that was probably my favorite part because I will just find excuses if I can't, you know, find it. Uh, but then to the actual like part of it tonight, I really, really do enjoy uh, getting. A, I don't want to say an audience, but a community of FNAF fans who want to appreciate the story more uh, and appreciate it not from a lower deciphering uh, standpoint, but more so just an engaging story and character standpoint, which is something that I always feel like FNAF has, uh, its fan base has neglected. It's really, really good, and I'm surprised more people don't, you know, shine light to it, because it really is a hallmark of the series, so, uh, yeah, uh, those are two be my two answers to that question. Uh, up next is at Sad Social Life. I think that's going to be their at on Twitter, and Alicia G. Oh, okay. Did you have this question? I have a theory. Is it possible that Glamrock Freddy is possessed by Michael Afton? I mean, it's a stretch, but think about it. Glamrock Freddy has voice lines that imply he knows deeply of William underground. He feels familiarity to Gregory, who looks similar to the crying child. I don't think Gregory is the crying child, but is it entirely possible that the pizza plex was built on top of the rubble of what was left from Pizza Sim? Michael's body is gone, but his remnant could be left behind waiting for a proper vessel. Uh, okay. Uh, well, thanks again, once again, Sad Social Life and Alicia, for uh, that theory in question. Uh, so, that's a big theory going on right now, Security Breach, is sort of the identity of Gregory and Glamrock Freddy. People are really, really getting into the nitty-gritty of that. Uh, as to... Do I think Glamrock Freddy is possessing... I'm sorry, is Michael possessing Glamrock Freddy? Uh, my answer to that would be I believe so, but not... but begrudgingly so. That's the best answer I can get. Begrudgingly so, I believe it. And the reason I say begrudgingly is because there really isn't too much evidence. There's evidence, don't get me wrong. There is. There is evidence for it. You can, you can see that there could be an allusion to that. Uh, but the problem is, is that there really is no hint that Michael really truly is inside Glamrock Freddy. Or if there is, it's very vague and cryptic. That's a problem, so. Uh, I think a lot of the people who believe Glamrock Freddy has the soul of Michael. I put myself in this category, so. I'll take that back. I'll say for me personally, and I'll extend that to, I believe others, but I only know from this for myself, that the reason why there's such a huge crowd for wanting Glamrock Freddy to have the soul of Michael and Michael to possess Glamrock Freddy is that it fixes a couple problems the Security Breach story has, which it's, which it's hurtful to say, but it would be its neglect of Fazbear history, or FNAF's history. In that, I mean, I know that's kind of a wild thing to say, but it is my honest opinion that I feel like Secure Region Help One didn't really respect FNAF's story going forward because the first game that basically Steel Wool had the reins to, they brought back William Afton. And that's a problem. And that's a legit problem bringing him back so early, especially right after Henry and Michael and sacrifice. You know, that's, you know, that's the biggest problem, is that if you're going to bring uh, William back, you have to bring Michael back. And help one and try to lessen the blow to a certain degree. Uh, 
I don't know if we're going to be able to talk about that later, but... Uh, but I do believe that uh, Michael is currently possessing Glamrock Freddy, but once again, progressionally so. If it turns out to be wrong, that's not going to be something I'm going to lose sleep over. Uh, it's just more so... I'd rather Michael be there in person or be more upfront that that's who it is. I don't think that's something that needs to be hidden, nor should it be hidden. That should be much, much, much more direct. Because think about it this way. If Glamrock Freddy was, it was way more upfront that Michael is missing Glamrock Freddy, doesn't the story of Security Breach work a lot better? Like, Michael has come back to life in another way that he's not so sure of himself. Let's say he doesn't even know why he's back alive again. But there's this kid that reminds him so much of the younger brother that basically, you know, he killed. He killed his younger brother. And now there's this kid who looks just exactly like him and he's in danger. So now Michael finally has to be the older brother that he never was. He finally has to take a responsibility and protect a kid. He's always reactionary, right? Michael's always reactionary. He's never truly uh, protecting kids, quote-unquote. It's more so he's trying to save those that are already basically been corrupted or doomed. So now he has the chance to actually protect someone so that, that reminds him of someone so close that he lost. It's the closest thing he might be able to get to get a full redemption because we don't know if he believes that he was fully redeemed after FFPS. I mean, he was doing his duty and responsibility that he knew he had. Yes. But does he think that his brother forgives him? Or does he even believe that he will forgive him? Does he even forgive himself yet? We don't know. Maybe that's why Michael... He is alive still. Maybe he still hasn't forgiven himself, and because of that, he does not want to face uh, his younger brother yet. It's, it's possible. Good theory. Good question, guys. Uh, up next, the random rando. Well, back name. Uh, thanks for posting the question, random. Uh, let's see what you have. I'd like to learn about Lewis from FNAF AR Special Delivery. He's mentioned in Security Breach through Vanessa's therapy tapes, as well as Special Delivery story emails. Who is he? Riz Novak, Lishup, and Fanny. What happens to him? Oh, so. FNAF AR. You know, I might put this as another poll on Twitter, uh, so check out for that. But I might post if you guys want me to talk about FNAF AR, because there really isn't much to talk about. Because there's a good chance that, even with the name being in, in Security Breach, it could be possible that it's no longer canon. I know for a fact that Scott and Illumix were trying to make a canon, but concept alone, it was a very difficult thing to buy into. Right, the faster Funtime service. Because with, uh, with Sister Location, it was way more believable, right? Because it was only four robots, basically, and a small contained area. Like, not even a huge corporation that spanned probably all of the United States. It was a small area with only four robots. And it was shut down immediately after one child went missing. The Fazbear Funtime service, it feels like multiple people would have gotten hurt just in a few days. And that brings into question Fazbear Entertainment's like, public perception 
in the modern day, or at least in 2020, basically. I guess it's not completely modern day, but FNAF is basically set now in the modern day. Uh, it brings into question that because you get the feeling from Help One and Security Breach that they're basically no longer the knockoff Chuck E. Cheese that's dying now. They, they seem to have been completely removed that aspect of the brand of it being the old Chuck E. Cheese business. Instead, Fast Entertainment's now more associated with, like, Disney. Unless, I mean, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but that's how I view Fast Entertainment now. That's the direction they're going. They're making it more not analogous to uh, Disney. Uh, but to your question of uh, who Lewis is from Secure Breach, Lewis is the IT from the company that makes the fast refund type service robots. They're sort of like the... They're not one-to-one, -one, the original robots, because it's very clear that they're made to be very cheap, like the Crick and Crank uh, and all that. But AR is very weird in that it's very confusing on whether or not characters are still themselves, I'm going to go on a limb and say no, because then that's a lot of spring traps running around, and that brings into, it brings in a whole lot of questions, because that's a lot of spring traps running around, and there's a lot, and that's a lot of fun time phrases running around, right? So, I don't think it's canon, but to Lewis is, he was the IT person at the company that Fazbear Entertainment was working with, and how it goes is that Lewis was very into Vanny, or Vanessa, if you will. He was very into Vanessa, had a thing for her, and wanted to hang out and go on a date with her. He always asked, like, anytime she he uh, contacted her through email, he always ended with, and hey, let's go get a coffee, let's, you know, let's hang out after work. Uh, she basically never reciprocated that feeling. But she did use his feelings for her, to help her know a bit more about IT, and it's alluded that his knowledge helped her get into the FASB Entertainment security system and like back and like backlogs. I don't, actually, I don't want to say Lewis helped her. It was more like Lewis probably gave her the knowledge and able to do that. As to what happened to him, uh, personally, I think he probably died. I'm gonna go with probably that was Van, one of Vanny's first victims because he definitely knew a lot. I mean, he was as dense as an anime protagonist, sure, but he, at the very least, knew too much, and William probably had a Vanessa killer to cover the tracks. So, Lewis is probably dead. Up next is Nerd with Faith. Thank you once again for submitting a question, Nerd with Faith. Uh, I guess this is a kind of random one, but... What do you think the shadow anim trunks are? Do you think they are just shadows or something more? Great question. Oh, I love talking about the shadow anim trunks. Okay. There's two perspectives to go with the shadow animatronics. There is the symbolic and literal perspective. And that's why Scott's writing was so good. Because there was a very there was a symbolic meaning and there was a little meaning. Now we'll do symbolic first, because that's what that was the first uh, reason we were given to the shadow animatronics. The shadow animatronics in the first four FNAF games, uh, and they—if you want to ask—if you want to know why they didn't show up in five and six, that's because their purpose really was wrapped up in those four games. The shadow animatronics basically are the shadows of Fazbear's dark history, effectively. And what I mean by that is that 
Shadow Bonnie represents basically all of William's dark deeds. Uh, it's basically just the agony or dark remnant, if you want to go down that route. It's the agony and dark remnant of William Afton's misdeeds that have basically culminated into uh, creating this uh, shadow of his spring body suit. And we know that this is possibly what Scott was thinking because I, I'm going to go with he didn't really have an idea of what the Shadow Man Trunks were until he was developing FNAF 3 because remember in FNAF 2 Shadow Bonnie wasn't uh, in the game yet. That was added on later. Uh, Shadow Bonnie was added later on in a patch probably when he was working on FNAF 3 and he had the idea for the game so he probably finally had an idea of what to do with them now after that. So he added Shadow Bonnie in because now he knew what he wanted out of uh, the Shadow Animatronics and what the story was going to be going forward. Uh, so yeah, a little bit of benefit of hindsight, but effectively, Shadow Bonnie represents uh, William's misdeeds, and it's basically taken sentience at that point. Because we do know that Remnant can allow objects to move and have basically formulate its own sentience with the Phantom Animatronics, because remember, we don't know if Father Freddy, for instance, is the MCI children. He could have uh, the remnant of them, for sure, but he may not be them one-to-one. -one. More than likely, he's not. Uh, so we know that Remnant has some level of creating sentience. So that could be just what the Shanimatronics are, just an amalgamation of Remnant that has just taken on sentience. And that is probably the same thing for Shadow Freddy, except I think Shadow Freddy represents Fredbear's slash Freddy's darkness as a whole. Shadow Freddy, I believe, represents the darker history of Phasma Entertainment and how, no matter how hard Phasma Entertainment tries to bury its legacy, the shadow and the stains of it will never cease to exist. Like, even, uh, to Security Breach, I think there's like an email or something you can collect that references, uh, how, like, one, I think it's a parent that says, like, how can you, like, open back up again? Like, don't you know that don't you know what happened? Don't you know? We like no one. For, no one forgot about those kids. Like, so I'm gonna go with that was their intended purpose. They're there to represent the because they were because remember the Shadow Animatronics in FNAF 4, they were literally just the shadows on the wall, but they had the exact same coloring of the Shadow Animatronics that we normally see them as. Because if Scott wanted to, he could just make them black and no one would think of anything of it. But it was the fact he made them purple. I believe that was him fully trying to make a symbolic gesture of what they were trying to mean. They were more there for symbolic reasons than for literal reasons. Now, for literal reasons, the Shadow Animatronics are just that. They are remnant incarnate. Uh, that is it. They're just basically a monster created through dark deeds. It's a bit more simplistic, but... Uh, and I prefer that the symbolic reasoning for it's more so than the literal one, but... Some people wanted to know a legit answer, and the legit answer is fine, but it doesn't have the weight, I think, as the symbolic answer does. Anyway, great question, there's play. Uh, next up is at Prismatic Panda, and this is your Instagram. Can you do a theory of why Baby was kicked out of the inner hive mind? Uh, the answer to that one is pretty simple. Baby basically, Baby basically is a sociopath. 
and she basically manipulated the front of Minotronics to basically do what she wanted to do. And she, it's not if she knew this or not, but she definitely had a much more powerful soul and mind than the other fun times, so they couldn't really fight her. She didn't think they could fight her on topics. Uh, but they found a way to reject her because basically, basically Baby's whole, like, motif is that basically she manipulates others. Uh, Michael has William's face and appearance. Uh, and even even say that if his youngest, if it's Golden Freddy, has his malicious uh, and vengeful side, uh, Baby slash Elizabeth definitely has William's tongue, has her has her, his uh, his snake little tongue, and that she's very good at manipulating others. I mean, that's pretty much the entirety of this location is Baby manipulating Michael, and even in the Fazbear Fright stories, in the second story, To Be Beautiful. Baby is basically doing the same thing again. She's just manipulating someone into getting what she wants. Uh, the problem is that in this space where they're with her for years and they're locked in a sewer for years, eventually all those nice words and reassurances, they're going to fall short. And they basically got wise to it. And... How I like to view it, although you don't have to view it like this, I, I'll, I'll see what actually happened after that. What we know for a fact happened is that they then kicked her out and then Funded Frank took control. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What I like to interpret it as is that Fun and Friday took the chance to take control. Because we don't know whether or not they had any input at all with Baby under control. But what we do know is that when Fun and Friday took control, there was no... There was no, we say we do this now. It was, he was now the King Bee of the Hive Mind. And he's not going to let anyone tell him what else to do. So I like to view it as Fun and Friday... Because we all, because we know from once again the Password Frights books, he is surprisingly smart, and now we know from Security Breach also surprisingly uh, resilient now. Although that was kind of evident with FFPS when it said that he had the most remnant out of all uh, Africa's constructs because he's an amalgamation of them. So yeah, he's pretty resilient in terms of his physical body. So uh, I like to think that Funny Friday took control. He saw an opportunity and took control, so no one could tell him what to do anymore. I like to imagine that whole uh, conversation. I think I mentioned this in the podcast. I like to imagine this whole, that whole conversation between Baby and Ennard through the source code of Scott Games. Uh, that was just Baby and Funded Fred. That was the two people having the conversation back to forth. I think it works better that way. 
Anime, great question. Or, um, I'm sorry, prismatic. Great question, prismatic. Uh, next question, FNAF lover Tom. I love FNAF too, Tom. Why did you do this podcast, and why do you love FNAF so much? Well, uh, I did this podcast because... Uh, I don't want to say that the other podcasts that were on the platform weren't good, but they weren't what I was looking for. When I was looking for a FNAF podcast beforehand, I was looking for someone to go over the story and to help refresh myself in the story of FNAF. And I didn't really get that. I got a lot of almost character episode analysis. Not that that's bad, but most of those character episode analysis weren't really analysis. They were just like, here's what Freddy does in night three, four, and five. And that's not what I wanted. And I just basically said, well, if no one else is going to do it, then I'll do it. I know how to work a podcast. I know how to audition. I've made a podcast beforehand. It wasn't successful, but I could get my hand in it. Uh, and it was really also, in conjunction with that, it was also a school project. When I was in college. Uh, making uh, a podcast was also uh, an assignment in college. We were to make an immersion media platform, whether that be a podcast, an app, what have you. I chose podcasts, and I did this. And really, the first three episodes were the only things I had planned. But as time went on, I noticed that people really start to enjoy it, So, and I really start to enjoy it, so I wanted to keep doing it. So, thank you again for asking that, Matt Silver Tom. Uh, the next question comes from the Spammin. That's a great name, too. Uh, the Spamin. Uh, it says, favorite FNAF game and why? Easy. That would be Sister Location. Sister Location is the best FNAF game. Uh, not the perfect game, by any stretch of the words. I feel like that game could have had a few more things for you to do. Maybe have one more night where we could explore more of the facility, because uh, that just that game has so many cool ideas you could do with it. But, yeah, Sister Location is definitely my favorite uh, FNAF game. It has an amazing story. Uh, it's voice acting in every, every character is phenomenal. Uh, the gameplay segments, well, somewhat linear, uh, get the job done, which is something that you can't really say for uh, modern FNAF games. <laughs> it's just a little shade of security breach. But no, I mean, they were very effective, and they, they were very scary in this location. And not only that, it was a great breath of fresh air, and a great sign that FNAF was going to be in the right hands after FNAF 4. Because people forget, when FNAF 4 came out, there was talk that, is FNAF a dream? Is FNAF even real? And people were still upset with how the story was really playing out, so... When Sister Location came out, it was not only a breath of fresh air from just a gameplay and atmospheric standpoint, it was also a breath of fresh air in terms of just relief in general, and how everyone was now confident that FNAF was going to be in the right hands. So, I have a lot of love for Sister Location, I have a lot of love for what it tried, I love how a lot of love for how it was experimented, and it single-handedly did save the FNAF franchise, so... I think I have to give it respect it deserves and name it my favorite. Good question, Spam. Uh, next question is Zane Baker. Why is Vanessa the reluctant follower to Afton? 
that's because Vanessa is currently being mind controlled by Lily Matson. That's the best I can do for you. Uh, yeah, no, she's just being mind controlled right now. Uh, up next is Lynn. Thanks for watching, Lynn. Uh, Lynn says, So this could be me being wrong about the timeline, but I was always under the impression that FNAF 2 was a prequel. It is. Uh, the first game entered the Bite of 87, and it is implied that after the events of the second game that occurred, so I'm curious how you got 1983 from FNAF 1. Uh, I'm sorry this comes across as rude. I'm genuinely curious. It's no problem to ask questions, Lynn. Uh, but I don't think I've ever said that... FNAF 1 took place in 1983. FNAF 1 definitely takes place afterwards in 1993. Uh, maybe I misspoke because, I mean, keeping track of dates in FNAF is hard. It's very hard, so I might have misspoke in 1983 and you might have caught me saying that. I apologize for that if that's the case. Uh, but no, you're right. Uh, FNAF 1 takes place after FNAF 2 in 1993. FNAF 2 takes place in 1987. So hopefully I was able to reassure you of that one. Sorry about that. Alrighty, up next is Izzy Afton. Oh boy, I hope you're not part of the Afton family. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, you had a theory. Uh, so Izzy Afton's theory is... My theory is the Afton family had six children, but one of them got killed by the one and only William Afton. I mean... It's wrong. <laughs> it's wrong. I'm sorry to say that, but... I mean, that could work as a fun AU. I mean, yeah, that could work as a fun AU. But we know William had only three children. We know he had Michael, and we know he had Elizabeth, and we know he had uh, the crying child. And I know there's topic of, is there a chance they could adopt him? But the answer to that one is, at the very least, he could not have adopted Michael. Michael is the one he could not have adopted, because Michael has literally all of his characteristics. Not just his voice, but literally... His face, eyes, hair, mannerisms, like all of that is genetically it has been imprinted onto Michael. Uh, and the Immortal Restless basically shows that that was what happened with Michael. Michael was basically William one to one. So we know that for a fact, but uh, if after had three other children, it's amazing how none of them have been mentioned yet. So sorry, Izzy, but I don't think that's the correct theory. Uh, next up is from Turtle Girl, spelled with the G-U-R-L. Uh, thanks for watching, Turtle Girl. Who asks, in the Pizzeria Simulator ending, Henry says, My daughter, is it possible his daughter's spirit has gone to another suit like Golden Freddy to maybe the puppet, and from the puppet to Lefty? And that would explain the jump scare at the end of the one minute game when Golden Freddy jump scares. So you're talking about the FNAF 2, uh, give, give, skip, like minute game. Uh, it goes on, so maybe is the soul drummer from Golden Freddy the puppet? Um, interesting idea that could have worked in the early FNAF days. In modern FNAF, that wouldn't really work. Uh, the puppet is now known to be Charlie, as in Rizotter. We know her identity completely. And we know Golden Freddy basically is going... is. I mean, Golden Freddy can't be the puppet, mainly due to the fact that we know that the puppet is a separate entity, and that the Golden Freddy is basically from the FNAF 2 games. is an entity that didn't need to be, bring, didn't need to be brought back to life. It could do it by itself. Uh, and once again, I view the 
Golden Freddy as the crying child mainly, so I personally don't believe that to be true, but uh, and I don't really see much evidence behind that one, Turtle Girl, but uh, if you can find more evidence that works that, I'd be interested to see if that can work, but I don't think it works. Uh, up next is from Noah Solomon. Solomon. Hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly as well, Noah. Uh, who asks, tell us where Claire is. Is she dead or alive? I assume you're talking about the Immortal and Restless. Uh, if you're talking about Afton's wife, because I know that Afton's wife's fan name is Claire. That's a fan name for Afton's wife. Uh, so I'll answer that too, probably. We're asking for Claire and the Immortal and Restless. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, she and Vlad are living happily ever after. Uh, but he still doesn't think the babies is. <laughs> um, uh, when it comes to Claire, as in the fake name given by fans for Afton's wife, uh, Afton's wife is a bit of a touchy subject for some people. Uh, I will say that she does not fully matter in the story overall because that her her point in the story is not important uh, because the main points of the story is Michael and William. They are the main characters that are part of it. If anything, her absence adds the fact of why the Afton household was so broken, in that there was no moral figure in the household, right? Like, there was no figure to showcase love, because William definitely wasn't showcasing love to them. Uh, so, now that she was gone, there was nothing but despair in that household, right? So, if I had to ask this, where Claire is, I like to think, I'm using this from the novels, because they also, they hint at William's wife in the novels, but they never really show her. I like to think from the novels that she's still alive, but William got her got a divorce. But because William was a businessman with this big expensive business, uh, he was given full custody of the children because, of course, I mean, he's a successful entrepreneur. They're going to have a hell of a lot of better time. Uh, adjusting and growing and becoming better people in society through him, right? And, you know, not the wife. Uh, that's my interpretation of it. Because I also like to interpret the novels, because Michael and Crenshaw aren't there, I like to interpret that into divorce settlement. Uh, when Elizabeth died, she got custody of the children, and that's why they're not part of it anymore. Because they're not part of that story at all. Good question, Noah. Uh, up next is J.P. Gross, who asked several times in help when it is mentioned that the VR game was a cover-up. This is told by the lady who taped the VHSs. Yep, that's true. I believe Fast Entertainment made that game to hide their tragic past. Yep, that's true. Uh, however, I would like to know how Glitchtrap logged onto the game. Why were there people who gave help when it created the code necessary for Glitchtrap to enter it? What was the game supposed to have been had Glitchdrop not exited? And my final and biggest question, how did William Afton become Glitchdrop, or is William Afton even associated with Glitchdrop? Uh, so this is stuff that I'm actually currently working on for the uh, Help Wanted video, so this is fresh in my mind. So, good question JP, and we're probably going to go over this uh, next episode too. But uh, let's break it down to four questions. So let's start with, however, I would like to know how Glitchtrap logged onto the game. Uh, 
I hate this answer, I'm going to be fully transparent, but it is the correct one, which is that the, I think Hanyan mentions this, that basically the game developers got the Springtrap, like, circuit board. They got own robotic parts of circuit boards that were supposed to have information for how they walked, and their animation cycle, all that stuff. And one of the circuit boards was Springtrap, and that's how William Soul got into the game. Now, I don't know why this didn't work for practically everyone else in Just William. Like, because I'll be honest, that, that never made too much sense to me. Because it brings the question, like, and, and they tried to, like, fix it in Security Breach, because I think a lot of people answered the same question. This might have been a big question in the community, which was, like, well, if William can do that through his circuit board, and he has a soul, why can't Funtime Freddy do that, and we don't even know he has a soul? He could just literally be a robot, so wouldn't it make more sense that he was the virus? Right? Wouldn't it make more sense that he possible just kill a robot with no soul? Is the computer virus? So they try to fix that security breach, but uh, to your question of why were there people who gave the help one clear the code and server glitch to enter? That's Phasm Entertainment. Uh, Phasm Entertainment. They did it as a cost-saving measure. They wanted the game to come out faster and cheaper. I believe that was. I believe that's what they say in the tapes, but you can infer it basically from what Hanyard says. That was. The what was the game supposed to be, have been, had Glitcher had existed? Pretty much one-to-one. -one. You just wouldn't have had the Pizza Party game and have, like, the glitches in it. Probably not even have the Dreadbear DLC, but most part one-to-one -one for what it was. Uh, and my final and biggest question, how did William Mathers become Glitchtrap or was William Mathers even associated with Glitchtrap? Uh, basically, William Mathers, uh, like I said before, he is basically now a computer virus in the game. And he became it because basically his soul got transferred into it. Now, once again, I will reiterate, I do not like that answer in the slightest. But that is how it works. At least that's how the game is trying to articulate how it works. William Afton, uh, soul got transferred into the game. Uh, it was an unstable connection, so he attacked himself on the VHS tapes that the VHS lady had made. And then she scattered them to make sure that he couldn't basically, basically spread the virus uh, out. Although it doesn't work because once the VHS were collected, he basically became uh, whole again. Of course, JP. Up next is Pappins, who asks, "Why did Mike try to free his father?" Uh, good question, Pappins. But I will argue on the word uh, free there. Because William is, I'm sorry, Michael is not trying to free his father. He is trying to put an end to his father. Uh, it just goes, it's just by happenstance that the same way to stop his father is the same way to free all the other souls, which is break them out of their vessel and burn their vessels to make sure they can re-enter them again. No, 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 no. See, Michael wants to stop William. It's just that he also knows that letting him deal with the same torture that the children had of being stuck in those robotic atrocities doesn't mean jack to him. Because right? he was always 
looking for a way to escape death permanently. And they basically gave it to him. He just had to wait 30 years to get it. And he fully enjoy it. So, no, Mike is trying to destroy his father. As to why, typically put, it's a combination of guilt and responsibility. He feels guilty for uh, killing his younger brother, as well as assisting in his sister and all of William's, his father's basically murderous creations, uh, escaping. And it's a combination of responsibility. He was responsible for that, and he's the only one who probably knows everything his father has done. So he has to be the one. Like, there's no one else. He has to be uh, the one to stop his father. Good question, Pappas. Alright, so this next question is from Savannah, Hayden, and Aaron, and Sir Musket, Potap47, Detrop24. Well, a lot of people ask this one. Oh. <laughs> okay, I can see why people are asking this one. Uh, the question is, is Gregory the robot reincarnation of the crying child? No. No, he is not. There is never, there will never be a cyborg in FNAF, because if, if there are, that's been the most jump-the-shark moment that has ever happened. So for reference of why this whole thing is even happening in the first place, it's because in the novels with Charlie, she was a cyborg in that story. I'll to that. That happened. But here's the thing. No one liked it. <laughs> Everyone unanimously, when those books came out, they said that was too much. That was dumb. That's way too much for any of these characters to have the knowledge of, especially doing it in the 80s and, like, the 90s. This is way, way too advanced, and it's breaking, basically, the immersion of the story. Because think about it with the Funtime Robots. The Funtime Robots don't break immersion, because, really, it's using the paranormal to explain your scientific advancement. Right, like the fun time, not fun. I'm sorry. The toy trunks are relatively advanced, and we've always had to deal with advanced technology in FNAF, right? Because robots, like the animatronics in FNAF, don't move like they do in real life. So we've always had to deal with advanced technology. But the toy robots were the pinnacle of that until the fun times came out. And even with the fun times, there was an excuse in lore for why they could do what they could do. Cyborgs are way too out there for that. And it's definitely a jump the shark moment for it. So if Gregory is a cyborg, I'll eat my words. But that's a path that you can't take back. And I don't know a lot of fans who will keep staying for the franchise if that goes forward. Not to say, like, this is an ultimatum of, like, if you have Gregory becomes a robot, we're all going to leave. No. I'm just saying that that's a decision that I can tell just from conception. We've seen that's going to piss off fans through the novels. So if they try and double down and make it actual canon to the games, they're not going to be happy and they're going to move. So, take that as you will. Now, as to evidence to the contrary for why Gregory's a robot, just one person just needs to answer me one question. If Gregory is a robot, and I know most of you ask this question believe in Glam Mike, if Gregory is a reincarnation of the crying child, how 
and why was William not able to infect him in the final boss fight, but could do that with Cormac, Freddy? Are you honestly telling me that Michael's soul is as is even in a dormant state where he may not be even aware that he is where he is? Are you telling me that Michael's soul is weaker than using our brother? Like Michael. The man whose soul is as strong, if not stronger, than Williams in terms of durability. Right? Durability is their strong suit. They can take punishment and live. Are you telling me that the crying child was not an easier target? Or even better, if Williams is strong enough that he can do it to Michael, why didn't he do it to both of them? And all the evidence for, like, the post-note room that Game Theory bring up, not to, once again, not to hashtag Game Theory, he's trying to, because well, once again, the problem with Gregor being reincarnated version of the crime child, it's another case of people are trying to make security breaches, it's basically them trying to fix security breaches story, because security breaches story, I'm sorry, it was trash, it was a very bad story, because uh, it wasn't thought through well. And I think that Gregory, as a robot reincarnation of the crime child, it's fans trying to fix the story because now there's an association with the past work. Because fans don't want the past work to be gone. This whole soft reboot stuff that a lot of franchises are doing, FNAF fans don't want that. They don't want... They don't want Michael to be forgotten. They don't want the crime child to be forgotten. Sure, bring William Afton back, but don't forget these characters. Bring them back. You want to keep making stories, you can make stories. William and Michael's story could be continued and explored, absolutely. And they even have in-lore reasons for why they can come back, also absolutely. But if you do not tell a direct story, and Secure Bridge really doesn't, it does not tell a direct story, it tries to basically reenact Map 1, but you can't do that in a game that takes about like 4-6 to six hours long. That's impossible, you can't do that. So, that's a fault at writing. That's why I think the theory spawned from. It was a fault at writing, and fans were trying to fix it. By giving Gregory some semblance of connection to the past and make the story more cohesive. But in reality, I think Gregory... It's not like that Gregory is a bad character in the first place. Gregory is not a bad character in the first place. Gregory, as a homeless child who just simply wanted to feel happiness that he was robbed of for the first time in forever by going to the Fazbear Pizza Plex at night and living that dream. That is such an emotional story. And if they were able to communicate that and didn't try to make it vague, it would have been beautiful. You would have feel so emotional for him and so, and so sympathetic towards his plight. I don't know why they went this direction. I think the most part, Secure Breach just simply ran out of time. And that's why all these theories and stories that are popping up are just the people trying to fix the story that was never finished implementing. So, sorry if that's a bit of a downer, but let's, let's do another question. I know that was a bit of a downer. So. Next up is from Harry, uh, who asks, I have a question and I would love to have a shout-out on the show. Well, here's a shout-out, Harry. 
Uh, my question is, why are the spirits from all the characters rest while only the one who does it is the crime child? Surely they can't rest while William Afton still... They can't rest while William Afton is still semi-alive. Uh, good question. Uh, there's two ways to look at this. Uh, I think the answer to look at this from is that they were satisfied. Uh, that was the point of the happiest day is that they were satisfied. Like, they could finally let go. William was impaled, and he was dead now. They can let go now. I mean, same thing goes with Charlie. They, they can let go now. They don't need to hang on anymore. The Crying Child slash Golden Freddy could not let it go. I think, once again, the reason why I think it's, it's the Crying Child is because it's a bit more of a personal reason for why he wants William to suffer more. So, he can't let it go compared to the other ones. And if you want to go into even more theoretical territory, uh, there is a hypothesis that states that uh, William, not William, sorry, that Molten Freddy, uh, or the Blob as it's known, or the uh, Molten Freddy or the Blob as it's known in uh, Secure Breach, uh, it currently has the souls of the MCI in it, and it's using that to basically survive. So, it's possible that they are not even rested yet. That they are still alive, it's just now they're trapped inside Molten Freddy. Which is arguably worse. Personally, I prefer the former. Uh, they just were able to rest because... God, I do not. Their story... The MCI children's story is done. FNAF 1 to 3, their story is done. We don't need to harbor on them as much. Although, if we did, I wouldn't mind, because when we do focus on the MCI children, we usually get some really good stories out of it. Uh, coming Home, Fastbird Frights, I mean, that is one of the best stories in that collection. It is so emotional. I cried on that one. That was daunting and amazing. I did not expect to have that emotion for reading a Fastbird Frights book. So, uh, it is a little shout out for that. Anyway, good question, Harry. Uh, next question is from Ed Freeman, who asks, Do you think the Knight 7 and 8 in FNAF 4 is a crying child dead, and this is just Mike's nightmare about killing his brother or something else? I bring this up because if a crying child is going furry, then wouldn't he be stuck in that nightmare forever? Been listening, to, uh, been listening since his relocation, would have listened sooner, but was too scared. Hey, you know what? It's very brave of you, then, to have gotten this far ahead. And that goes for everyone else who has, who has listened. It is very daunting to continue watching and listening to a series. And continue watching and listening. I always equate to reading a book. I know people think it's easy to write a book, but as someone who thinks himself a reader, finishing a series is much more... Is, just as difficult as finishing a book because there's a commitment to it, a strong commitment to it. So, everyone, pat yourself on the back for committing this long, and you know, just hang around and being with me for this long, guys. So, don't be afraid that you were scared. Ed, uh, as to your question, uh, do I think Knights and Eight the French was dead? Yes, yes, that was the point of Nightmare. Uh, I don't like the theory that it was Mike's nightmare. Uh, I'll go into that after this, but yes, 
in Night 7 and Night 8. Uh, that is basically the crying child in his last doorsteps, because that's when Nightmare gets involved. And Nightmare is effectively Fadat's version of the Grim Reaper. So, in Night 7 and 8, he's there to end the Nightmare. Because you, you brought up the Brian Charles going further, then wouldn't he be stuck in that nightmare forever? No, because that's the point of nightmare. He's there to stop the night. He's there to stop it. That's why, compared to everyone else, when you die from any other nightmare animatronic, uh, you get the bloodbath, and then you can restart the next level. Nightmare restarts the game. Because if he gets you, if death catches you, that's it. Nightmare's over. There's there's no more dreaming after that. There's no more dreaming. Because you're dead. Uh, but no, that's a great question. You had a great question. Uh, let's follow that up with Cameron McMace, uh, who asks, "Oh, this is a theory. I'm sorry. Uh, the non-canon animatronics in UCN are from a different dimension. Colin <laughs> Freddy can go to other dimensions. You are free to believe that, Cameron." <laughs> Uh, I will say there is zero evidence supporting that, but hey, I, that also means I can't disprove it if there's no evidence for it either. Right? Right? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, Cameron, there, there's no evidence to support that or the theory. Uh, but you're free to believe that as an AU. Because that would be a cool AU. Uh, you know, I think FNAF's lacking in AUs. I feel like Untail is really popular because it has a big support for AUs. I think FNAF would do a lot good for itself to its community and building its community faster if it was allowed to have that. So, uh, if you want to make that an AU, Cameron, get to work because that could be a cool AU. Uh, next question is from Anonymous, who asks, "What do you think the crying child's name is?" This is a big, uh, this is a big topic. You know, what the crying child's name is. Some people think it's Evan. Uh, some people think it's Cassidy, some people think it's uh, Charlie, even. And some people think it's Sammy, which was a name from the books as well. Uh, I will say this, no answer is official, and no answer has been given. Any person who says they know the identity of the crime child, uh, now take all of their FNAF, like, standings, like their FNAF like, knowledge, put it all into question. Because that was never, ever given. Even the stupid Cassidy theory, which I talked about in the last episode, so many hoops of logic have to be gone through to get there. First being that there might even be a puzzle in that log. And I'm sorry, at the end of the day, it's such a stupid thing to have that I just prefer, I mean, because it doesn't even matter at the end of the day. What? I, you can ignore it and it changes absolutely zero things about it. Uh, but what do I prefer that Crime Child's name is? I would just prefer it to be Gasty just so people can cry about it. <laughs> just so people can, just so people can be mad. <laughs> that may sound evil, but... <laughs> but I just, I would love the name to be Cassidy and have it be the crying child just so people's theories get destroyed I would love it I would love it so much uh, but if I wanted it to be any other name um, 
Now, I wouldn't mind it being, uh, I wouldn't mind it being something like, uh, George or Gregory. I know Gregory was mentioned beforehand, but if Gregory was once again the name, I think that would once again be a very cool savant gesture. Maybe two on the nose. Maybe just a little two on the nose. Maybe not Gregory. But George, I think George would work. I think George is kind of a British name, because once again, it's all the Aftons have British names. William, Elizabeth, Michael, so it needs to be... I don't want it to be, I don't want it to be like, super British, but I think George is a British enough name for them. So yeah, I think George is a good name. The question, uh, Anonymous. Uh, up next is Well Atomic, uh, who asks, Is Vanessa the Yellow Princess in the Pixel Quest Help Wanted mobile game? Uh, that is correct, yes. Uh, Vanessa is a symbolized the Yellow Princess, and that entire game is basically a symbolic metaphor for being affected by the Afterfires, so good question. Uh, up next is the Banana Mana Man. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Banana Mana. My apologies. Uh, who asks, when Willie is in the glitch trap in Security Breach, then where's Mike? He's always where Willie is. Uh, well, I mean, Mike could potentially be Glam Rock Freddy. So, he could be that, but... Glitch trap and help wanted. Uh, Mike is symbolically there. Yeah, now we got all your attention. <laughs> no, Mike is symbolically there. So I mentioned beforehand that Help Wanted, uh, I made a mistake of bringing William Afton back to life. To be frank, Help Wanted did a lot of things that shot red flags into me for story, but I was able to forgive it because its gameplay was so good. It handled the atmosphere and gameplay so well, I was able to forgive the fact that it had some elements that I wasn't a big fan of. Uh, I wasn't a big fan of the fact that William Matthew was brought back to life so quickly. I wasn't a fan of the fact that Michael and it feels like every other character was being shunned and their sacrifices being made to mean nothing. Uh, I was also not a big fan of the fact that Fastman Entertainment seemingly came back out of nowhere. Like in FFPS, it's fine that it came back out of nowhere because it was set up very quickly and very clearly it was supposed to just last for basically a week and then liquefy completely. I don't know, it feels like I'm alright because it happens every day. Like, I, it happens every day that businesses liquefy and companies buying up so they can take the branding from them. Yeah, that happens every day, but it feels like with FNAF there should be some story element to that. Some explanation, right? Uh... But no, Mike is symbolically there. Just think about it. It's he's there in the Dreadbear DLC. Because once again, think about it. If William is fun, finally formed and possesses Fanny, he's on the cusp of coming back. And once again, this was this was why I was willing to accept Security Breach and be optimistic about it. Is because it feels like Steel will either Scott or th even their own writers recognize that they made a mistake. And they wanted to solidify that they had their research done, they knew the story, and they weren't going to forget anything. Because the Dreadbeard DLC has one of the best FNAF symbolism moments ever to exist. During the Dreadbeard DLC, 
At that point in time, Vanessa is basically William now. Right? William is possessing Vanessa. Right now, she is inheriting his position at that point in time. There is a great scene where when you die in the Dreadbear game, you see a monster Dreadbear. Like, three stories tall. This monster, like, godlike figure hovering over a graveyard, reaching out to grab the player. And as you turn around, you hear the screeching and cracking and this of flames and this scratching of metal. And as you turn around, you see this wicked-looking foxy that's completely on fire and has this sickle for a hook. And it's, like, daring you to come out. But it's behind locked gates that lead out to the graveyard, that lead outside the graveyard. And, I mean, you guys are well-known symbolism of FNAF at this point, but if I had to break it down to you, I mean... A character named Dreadbear, which is a pun of Fredbear, who is literally a character, has a minigame. You pull him apart and put him back together again. Right? So he represents Golden Freddy. Right? The crying child. And then you have him over a grave, reaching out to him as this godlike figure when you die. That is absolutely symbolic. Because that is symbolizing, basically, what William fears most. Because if he dies, he's going right back in that purgatory that Golden Freddy had him in. That's why, you know, you have the gravestone of, like, the graves, right, the purple grave. Yeah, that's all of the Mr. Children incidents from the gravestone ending. That's them surrounding William, ready to pounce on him again. If he dies, whether or not it's them or just the reflections of them... It's going to be hell again, and they're going to be waiting for him. But even if he's able to escape death again, what's waiting for him outside? A character known as Grim Foxy. Who do we know who has a hankering for always tracking and hunting down William? Is basically a character that brings spirits to rest. And is heavily associated with Foxy. That is his fear manifested of Michael when he comes back. That even after he escapes death and is outside the grasp of effectively Golden Freddy again, he is outside death's embrace. Right? Michael is going to be there waiting for himself. He still has to contend with another one of his children waiting for him. Isn't that just beautiful? And even then, like, it works twofold too, because Grim Foxy is effectively the final boss who is guarding the corn maze where Vanny's mask is in the game. He is effectively the final stopper, making sure that Vanny can't bring the mask to Glitztrap. Like, it can't be more on the nose that Michael... That Grim Foxy is supposed to symbolize Michael, right? Maybe it's just me, but I think it is. And what do you know? When Scrooge came out, it's a good chance that Glamrock Freddy is Michael. Who knows? Isn't just isn't it just a little convenient, might I say? 
It's just a little convenient that out of all the robots, out of all the robots, Freddy is the only one unaffected and in her safe mode and glitches out and has humanoid characteristics far more than any of the other robots. No. That cannot be a coincidence. I don't subscribe to Scott doesn't do coincidences because he absolutely does, that's for certain. He doesn't do coincidences, but they happen, and then he tries to work them into his story, which is something that every writer does, so I don't hold it against him. But that is not a coincidence. Great question, Anna. Great question. Uh, next one up is from another anonymous who asks, Might be a too late to talk about this, but when Fast Entertainment was designing the Glam Rocks, why would they make them similar to the Fun Times, as they both have some compartments and advanced AI, and Fun Times were built to kill? Was this them trying to concept of the Fun Times pure? Uh, good question, Anonymous. I wish actually you mentioned put your name down, but that's a really good question. Uh, when it comes to them, the Glam Rocks, the Fun Times, I like to view it... And there's no, I will be fully in it. This is theory territory. This is my hypothesis of it. I have no evidence to back this on. But I like to view it as fast entertainment, even in modern day, cannot get to the technological level of the fun time robots. Because they really don't know how that works. Right, because they don't know that the reason the Funtime robots are so humanistic and can move so humanly was because they had the soul of dead children in them, right? They had, or they had remnant in them, right? So, with the Glamrocks, I like to think that they do have basically remnant ringing through them, but they don't know effectively that that is. And they're having them run on basically a copy of Funtime code that they have just changed and altered very little bit. Because they don't know exactly how it works, but they at the very least want. Because they don't, they don't know how it works, but they can still profit off of it. But that's a great question. Uh, that's a great question. Uh, next question comes from Monkey Bow Two, who asks, "What did the Candy Cadet story mean in episode 13? Right. So episode thirteen had my own makeshift Candy Cadet story. And that story was sort of a precursor to what I was going to talk about in episode 13, which was my overall theory of Golden Freddy. That was my precursor of knowledge to have people have in the back of their head before I got into the bigger topic, which was effectively the story of the two brothers who ran the farm and the fox that comes and creeps in kills the chickens and steals the eggs that story was basically a story of the two after brothers and the two methods one had a method of trapping the animal and making it harmless quote unquote. but uh, the older brother recognized that that's just a half measure that's not thinking things through you've made it less harmless but that doesn't mean it can't still become problematic Though the only solution is just simply to kill it, full measure. So that was the main story of episode 13. It was sort of the difference of ideology between the Atom Brothers and why... It sort of supported my reason of why I think the crying child was Golden Freddy. Good question. Uh, next up is from Kidneys Kurtenegy? 
don't know if that's how you pronounce her name. I'm sorry about that again, kidneys. I'm sorry. Um, but here a question is, who was your favorite animatronic? Easy. Easy. Funtime Freddy. Funtime Freddy is the best animatronic. Uh, well, I'll tell you that he's one of the scarier ones. If I had to be completely objective, right? If I had to be completely objective with all my rankings of favorite character and favorite animatronic, I mean, yeah. Baby is the best one. I mean, she is. She has... She's the character with the best character arc, the most diverse personality, and her story's even done. It's concluded. And her head of masters is beautiful as her. It's just such a beautiful voice as her. Yeah, Baby is my objective answer, but my true answer... Funtime Freddy. Kellen Goff nails that role, and what they did with him in Count the Ways is perfect. That was a perfect interpretation of him, and a perfect angle to go to give him more personality and character. Honestly, I was so mad for what they did with him in the blob, because you took such a terrifying character and relegated him down to basically an animal. And yeah, Freddy was kind of... He had feral instincts in FFPS, right? In FNAF 6, he was basically just a hyena in the vents, but... I don't know. He was still smart and competent. I don't know. He was such a good villain. I feel like that character got robbed because out of any character... If you wanted to continue FNAF and you didn't want to use William, he was such a perfect character to use. And I feel like... He got robbed a little bit. But to be fair, he got robbed and my book got robbed a little bit, so... They're in the same boat there. <laughs> but yeah, I know, Kidneys. He's my favorite. I even actually have a, uh... I got a signed autograph from Kellen for Fun and Freddy because... He was my absolute favorite, so... Thank you, Kellen, for that. Uh... Next question is uh, from Lorat. Thank you for watching, Lorat. Who asks, question, are these scripted or are y'all making this up the spot? These are scripted, yes. There's no way, well, this is a scripted, but... Yes, every episode is a script that's written, basically, with three to four drafts. The only exception is the first three episodes where I think I just first drafted. But every other episode after that, we usually do three drafts for each episode. Write the script for each draft and then see how it works. You hope for the best. Uh, but yeah, no, we all made this up the spot. I will say that there is some artistic flexibility when we're editing it. Like, a good example would be, like, the episode 13 that I mentioned, the, uh, Candy Cadet story. That was made, that was not part of the script originally. That was made up the weekend of when we were releasing it. Uh, because I wanted an immersive audio bit. Uh, so, when we're in the audio phase, there's a bit more flexibility. We might add some stuff in, we might ask that wasn't in the script beforehand. Uh, but for the most part, it's it's 90% scripted, 10% uh, improv. So, good question. Uh, next question is from KingVS1, who asks, Why is William Atom represented as the purple guy when Michael is a reanimated purple corpse, a literal purple guy? Great question, King, and I have a perfect answer for you for that one. It goes back down to symb sim symbolism. William was purple, he was the purple guy, because he was supposed to represent a shadowy evil figure. Right? That was the point of purple. He couldn't use black because that was the background of the Atari games. So Scott used purple. But 
when Michael becomes the purple man, as I like to call him, because William's a purple guy, Michael is the little purple man. Michael is both symbolically mirroring his father in a multitude of ways. Michael is literally empty inside, right? He is literally empty and dead. William is figuratively, emotionally empty and dead. Michael views himself as a monster. Like, we see that with the mirrors. He views himself as a monster. William is that monster. Michael and William are very much a yin and yang type character dynamic. Where Michael is the light with a little bit of evil and darkness, William is basically the evil with only hints of the human that once was there. That's the point that's the point of them both being purple. William is a shadowy figure who is evil. Michael is a little rotting corpse who views himself as evil. Because Michael has remorse for his one action, his one death of someone that trusted him. William finds glee in the same debt he caused for Charlotte, the girl who trusted him. Right. Good question, game. Uh, another anonymous question, uh, which is, how did you think of your mascot? Uh, the answer to that one is, uh, I mean, the endoskeleton was fairly easy. We just thought that was the most recognizable robot, because we didn't want to make our own makeshift mascot. We wanted to use something FNAF-related, and we didn't want to use, like, Freddy Fazbear. We just thought, and Innoskills would probably be good, because that's somewhat recognizable, right? That's somewhat recognizable to the Fazbear cast. We thought that would work. Uh, but the flat cap came in uh, because I am known to wear flat caps. I actually have a collection. I have a little bit of uh, Irish blood in me. So, I have a huge collection of flat caps. Uh, I think I have like 13 or 14 actually. I wear them quite often. Uh, so, when we were deciding of making the podcast, they were like, yeah, let's just throw a flat cap on. That, that'll work. Uh, we've actually started to change the character now. I think going forward, we're going to have him. He's still going to wear the flat cap, obviously, but I think we're going to have him wear a suit now because we really liked how he looked in the sort of 80s graphic that we had him, that we had uh, Jackson make up for episode, I think it was 9? Nine? 9 was the graphic one. We really liked him in that in that outfit, so I think that's what we're going to go with going forward. But yeah, no, we just wanted something recognizable, and we had a little personal touch to it, so it was a little bit more personal to us. Great question, Marcus. Alright, I only have two questions left, uh, which... Killer name coming up from Logan Pogchant, killer name, who asks in the games, my examples have one of Secure Breach, Chica is seen to like food and steal from the spins to get the Pichu, which is said to be not good. Is this something Susie is doing, do you think? Uh, there is a history to that question, Logan. Great question. There's a history to it. So, a lot of people forget who are new to the franchise, but Chica being obsessed with food was never an official thing in FNAF that was always a fan joke. Because Chica went into the kitchen, she had a let's eat bib, so people just made the joke that she was a glutton. And that joke just 
for whatever reason, stuck. And as it stuck, like, <laughs> eventually it just become, like, Help Wanted basically was the game that made that factor canon. Because they basically had her be rummaging around kitchens and eating leftover gross rotting pizza. I don't think that was something that she get, did actually, but if she did, I don't think that's more so Susie. If it is, maybe it's her trying to like relive like her humanity, like her human aspects, or maybe trying to find out like the taste. Maybe she be like food, she's foodie and what it tastes. I don't think that's the reason though. I think for the most part that is a fan joke, and then the games decided to keep that joke going. Uh, it, I mean, because in Help One, I mean, that clearly was just them continuing the joke. Secure Breach with Glamrock Chica eating the food and just eating straight up garbage. Um, yeah, I got nothing for you on that one. Uh, because Chica has no character in Secure Breach, so I have no idea why she's doing what she does. If I had to guess, lamest answer, Akiv's Razor. Let's trap it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Louie. There's not really an easy answer for that one. Just know that it was originally a joke by the fans that eventually became official in the games. Great question. Uh, final question uh, is from Annecy, who asks, I'm still working on catching up with all the episodes, so give me if this is already covered. What is in the box from the end of Fat 4? What do you think is in it? Will be every answers about it. This is a good question, Anna. Uh, well, great question, Anna. And the answer to that one would be: uh, Will we ever? I'll answer this backwards. Actually, will we ever get answers from about it? Probably not. That's probably gonna be locked forever. We'll never get to know what's in there. Uh, now, to what do I think is in it? I think what was originally in it was in FNAF 4. If I had to guess, what was originally in it was probably something that confirmed that the crying child was Golden Freddy. I think it was more than likely uh, a confirmation of, like, maybe it was said something like the long lines of, like, the missing children incident, five children had been missing, because the 1985 thing hadn't been set up yet, that was the one line when we got that official uh, date, but it could be something where, like, five children went missing, and it had, like, the puppet, Freddy, Chica, Bonnie, Foxy, right? Uh, and said, like, you know, Fast Entertainment has five victims, you know, they're at the course of his career. And then we have something that confirmed that this crime child becomes Golden Freddy. That's what I think it was originally there, but this guy's been on the record that it's changed. Now, what that effectively means is that now, basically, if you want the box to have the answer to literally anything, you can effectively have it be the answer to anything. It's kind of why I, I, I have a love-hate relationship with the box, because it's such a cool concept, and it kind of reminds me of, uh, it was a Quentin Tarantino film that I'm not going to be able to recall. I think it was Pulp Fiction, though, with the case of gold light that comes out of. I mean, never need to know what's exactly in there. But, I mean, that's the point. Life's not filled with answers, you know? just have to imagine what's in there that has all the answers to what we want to know what's going on with the story that has all the answers and that's what's kind of happening here we just imagine that it has all the answers if 
for me, the answers now would be if Scott were to update the game and have the box be openable, what the box opens up to is basically memorabilia of the entire Afton household. And it signifies who every character is in the Afton household. It signifies who William is, who Cranchild is, who even his wife is, possibly. And even maybe even have some stuff on Henry and the Emily's, right? It's just basically a box of memories of what they were before, and then the hints and fragments of memorabilia shows what they're going to be after. Right? Maybe it has Michael's Foxy mask, maybe it has Crunchyroll's Golden Freddy plush, maybe it has William's knife, maybe it has, uh, maybe it has like an ice cream coupon for Elizabeth. Uh, maybe Mrs. Afton's face is scribbled out of the pictures. Uh, Henry has, I don't know, like, maybe Henry's hidden in the shadows. And then you have Charlie, who comes up with So she, maybe she has like one of those mannequin uh, dolls. So that would be my answer to that one. Anna, great question. And with that, I believe we are all done. So I hope you all enjoyed this. This is uh, once again, this is off the cuff, my honest reactions and opinions to all this. So I hope you really all enjoyed. And once again, this was all for you guys. This was a complete celebration of the fans of Not Only Into the Night, but the fans of FNAF and a celebration of the community. And just a big thank you to all of you who have been supporting the show and keeping it running. Uh, you guys truly are awesome. Uh. You guys know the drill, uh, but I'll do the outro all the same. Uh, if you like the show, be sure to like, subscribe, uh, share the show on uh, share the show with your friends, family, and coworkers. Uh, and if you want more information about the show, follow us on uh, Fast, at Fastman Entertainment on Twitter, or uh, our Buy Me a Coffee page will also have any updates to the show, and that's also where you can support us if you like to do that. Next episode, uh, we are going to be going into Help Wanted, and I'll be returning back into my uh, serious narrator. Uh, I was a bit more laid back in this episode, but we're going to be going back to serious narrating material and probably a lot more immersive audio. So if you're missing that, we're definitely going to get that back uh, next episode. So please look forward to that. Uh, but other than that, thank you once again for listening. I've been your host, Nick, and it's been a pleasure, everyone. Have a good night. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.